0: Welcome to Trinity Dallas. We pray that this message will be a source of encouragement and hope in your life today. Enjoy today's message. It's an honor to be here to be honest with you. I said the first service and the second service, and I'll say it again now to all of you. um, You guys are an inspiration to us in Atlanta and I know to many other churches around the world i um, not just by via your pastors who are, who are absolutely an inspiration, but, but your whole church, I think we brought 12 people to your presence conference and to a person, all of them said, we want to come back next year. And I just said, you haven't been invited back next year just yet, but, uh, but they loved being here with you. And truly your, your culture of faith is, is absolutely evident when you walk through these doors. And, um, and we, I bring people here because I want them to see what you're doing so that I, they can take that back to Atlanta and use that in our ministry. So uh, on top of that, um, your pastors, uh, both Joe and Nancy and the extended pastoral team are absolutely an inspiration for us. I'll talk about that in just a few minutes, um, but I am honored to be here and uh, honored to be preaching to you today. I had a message ready to deliver to you, and on Wednesday, Pastor Joe said, hey, we're doing a discipleship series, so preach on discipleship. So I shifted to discipleship, which is great. So I wrote this message in the last few days, and um, I'm excited to share it with you because this really is my heart, and I think that's why Pastor Joe invited me back so quickly is because discipleship is absolutely my heart. And, and you know, discipleship, my, the title of my message today is Worship Extended because discipleship really is a extension of our worship. And we'll see that in scripture in just a minute, but I want you to know it kind of philosophically now. The act of discipleship, both for you and as you turn outward for others, is an act of worship. And that worship is an honoring of God. And Jesus says, those who love me are the ones who do what I command There's a sense that as we do what Jesus is asking us to do, that is our true and right worship. As we go through the scripture today, you'll see that. But what I want you to know is because it's worship, because discipleship honors God, truly discipleship is not an optional extra. There's not a sense that we go, okay, we we find salvation in a church meeting like I did in in, uh, January of 1996. I think it said 1992 last service, but 1996... I remember being at service after 20 years of being in the Methodist church. I'm in this revival meeting in a student ministry at the University of Georgia in a Methodist uh, student ministry, and God absolutely touched my life. They did an altar call, which i had never really seen before, and my heart was racing, and my hands were shaking, and I just said, God is doing something in me right now that I never imagined possible. I was a kind of a token cultural Christian, just kind of going through the motions of church because I thought that's where good people went. But in that moment, God absolutely transformed my life. And so in that moment, I became someone different. I can't explain to you how that happened. I can just tell you my heart changed. But in every moment since that time, God has continued to move. In every moment since that time, I've engaged, not because of who I am, but because of the people who God has graciously surrounded me with, including up to the car ride back here. Pastor Joe disciples me every single week. Well, aren't you his overseer? Yeah, we're, we're in relationship. <laughs> As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Good relationship is composed of discipleship. But discipleship isn't an optional extra. God didn't find me in salvation in 1996 and then say, okay, you're good until this whole resurrection thing. No, no, that was, you know, in in high schools in June, they have commencement ceremonies, not graduation ceremonies. Not when you get formal. Why? Because the, the move from high school to college the move from college to the world isn't just a graduation. It's a commencement of the next phase of your life. And that salvation moment is like a commencement. You're, you're, you're graduating from a, a, not having a knowledge of who God is to a knowledge of who he is. And now, now I'm going to walk in a new direction. To think of the Christian life without discipleship is really to fall far short of all that God has for you. And can I just tell you, we'll get to my message in just a second. Can I, can I just tell you this? God loves you. God loves you. You know what that means? It means that every action he takes in your direction, every command he puts in your presence, every word written in scripture that you read and you go, okay, now I'm going to change my life in this direction. Everything he does, he does out of love for you. Just like when my son comes to me in third grade and says, hey, dad, I don't want to go to school anymore. I say, well, that's not acceptable. You have to go to school. He says, why don't you love me? Because from a third grader's perspective, you can't understand how going to school helps you in the long run. But every parent knows that a good parent, when their third grader comes to them and says, I want to drop out of school, doesn't say, well, okay, if that's what you want, you can have it. They say, no, no, you need to go back to school. And no matter how you feel about that, I love you too much to leave you in that space. God loves you too much to leave you in the space you currently occupy. God loves you so much. He wants you to take that next step on your journey to fullness. This is what he says. He says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I came, this is Jesus talking, not Jeff thinking, not my philosophy of life. This is Jesus talking. He says, I came that they might have life. Listen, this is the key and have it more abundantly or have it to the full. The world would tell you that the Christian life is meant to hold you back from the very best things that are on offer, power, money, sex, that's what the world seeks. But the truth is the Christian life is meant to push you forward into the very best life possible for you. So instead of preaching, I can I can go on with a whole tangent for that. Let me just get back to my message here, Matthew chapter 28. We're talking about discipleship. Matthew chapter 28, for anyone who's been in Christian long enough knows that Matthew chapter 28 is the great commission, passage of scripture. In Matthew 28, 16 through 20, Jesus says, is- Uh, commissions his disciples to go and do the work that he's called them to do. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to go through Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 this morning and see how discipleship is meant to impact our world and the worlds around us. So here's here's what Matthew tells us that happened. Now it says, Now the eleven disciples, there aren't twelve anymore because Judas is gone, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, which is like going back to the suburbs to their hometown, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now listen, if you read that passage of scripture and it doesn't just tweak you a little bit, you you haven't read it closely enough because this is the thing. Jesus has been crucified. Every one of these 11 followed him for three years. Every one of these 11 saw Lazarus come out of the tomb when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Every one of these 11 saw lepers. No cure for leprosy. Saw lepers, when he touched them, became clean. The skin lesions they had went away. All of these 11... When blind Bartimaeus said, Son of David, have mercy on me, saw his sight restored. All of these 11 saw things that that truly none of us will probably ever see. Miracles we can't even imagine are possible. A leg growing back. You can't imagine these things. They saw all of those things. And then they witnessed the trial and, and they had a really hard time with that. The trial of Jesus, all of them scattered. But that's gone now. Jesus is crucified, he has risen, and he has appeared to them again. So everything he has said has come true. He said, Go to Galilee and wait for me there. Galilee's like where they're from. So they go to this very familiar place. They're in probably a very familiar area of pasture that they probably hung out in a lot. And now Jesus appears to them, risen again. And it says they worshiped him. I don't know what your Christian experience is like, but let me just tell you, this was some good worship this morning. The other campus was good worship too, but it pales in comparison to having the risen Christ in front of you, the risen Jesus in front of you saying, good morning. There's a whole different world of worship when that happens. It says they're worshiping him, but it says right there, it says, but some doubted. Whenever scripture confuses you, don't run away. Dive in. God God can handle your questions. God can handle your concerns. They worshiped, but some doubted. What does that tell me? It tells me that for every one of them, there were still things in their world they had not figured out yet. There are so questions they didn't have answers to. Every one of these eleven, every morning and every night for their whole lives, they would have prayed the Shema. And it's, the Shema is the is the Jewish prayer that's the highest Jewish prayer there is. It's in Deuteronomy six, verse four through I think nine, and it starts like this: "Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one." And now they're praying to the Son and the Father, and they're going, but I thought God was one. How is this two? They didn't have Trinitarian doctrine. It's it's confusing for them. The translation for you this morning, before we get into discipleship, because I think the reason why discipleship doesn't happen more often in our lives is because we feel like we're not equipped. We feel like we're not qualified to be disciples or disciple makers. And so can I just tell you this morning, that's absolutely true. You're absolutely not qualified. Let's get that out of the way. Christ qualifies you. You don't come in qualified. So if you're thinking, hey, this message is for mature Christians, it is. But just know this, it's for immature Christians too. It's for people who haven't even accepted Christ yet. Because the truth is, discipleship starts with this word, hello. Discipleship starts with introductions. As soon as you're introduced to someone, anyone in your midst, you are engaged in the process of discipleship. You have influence over them to determine the pathway of their life. As soon as you meet someone, that person has influence over you. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you choose to accept it or not, that person has influence over you. And so what I want you to know is these disciples were still getting their stuff figured out. I know you're still getting your stuff figured out. But this life of discipleship is for you to both receive and to give. God knows. Like, God knows, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, God knows I don't know what I'm doing, but he was never relying on me in the first place. God has this in his grasp. All he's asking is that we'll walk. Every one of these 11, some of them doubted, but, but Jesus, I did a little intermission there. Jesus doesn't take an intermission. He goes, Matthew says, some of them doubted, but Jesus right away commissions them. He knows they haven't figured it all out yet, but he commissions them anyway. You may not have it all figured out yet. In fact, if you think you have it all figured out yet, you're probably the most deceived person in the room. None of us have it all figured out yet. But he's talking to you. Matthew wrote this down so that you would hear it and your life would be changed. Let's see what he says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. He says this. It says, and Matthew tells us, And then Jesus came to them while they're worshiping and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now listen, the first problem with us being disciples and understanding discipleship is is that we feel like we're not qualified. We've already covered that. You're not qualified, but Christ qualifies you. We'll get back to that at the end. So, so just know, this message is for you. If you are here or if you're watching online, this message is for you. So let's, let's uncomplicate discipleship because we don't use that word. I don't use it in my home. I don't use it in my workplace. I don't, and I work at the church. And we don't use it in our gyms. We don't use it in, at, at the Cowboys games. Go Cowboys. Because Falcons aren't doing anything. So what does discipleship mean? Well, he tells us right here what it means. Let's just look at it and uncomplicate it. Let's take out the holiness factor and let's just look at the pragmatics. What does it mean to to be a disciple and to be a disciple maker? The first thing he says here in Matthew 28 is go. Jesus says, I've been given all authority, so go. Now they're in the middle of the greatest worship meeting they've ever had. It's like we're all in worship. We've all got our hands raised, our eyes closed. And he just taps us on the shoulder and says, now it's time to Go, because the Christian life is all about you until you get salvation, and then it's all about everyone else. So he's saying it's great that you're here, it's great that you're worshiping me, but now it's time to take that hope, that life, that honor, and go and share it with other people in your world. The first responsibility of a disciple is to go, moving beyond ourselves with intention to impact the lives of others. Acts 1.8 says this. Acts 1, sorry, 7 and 8 says this. It says, Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. What do, what do witnesses do? Are they theological teachers? Not necessarily. Are they preachers? Not necessarily. Are they great worshipers? Maybe, maybe not. What is Jesus calling you to be as a disciple? He's calling you to be a witness. What do witnesses do in the witness stand? They say, yes, I was there. This is what I saw. This is what I experienced. And this is what I understand. So all you're called to do is go and say, this is what I've seen. This is what I witnessed. This is what I understand in relation to your life in Christ, which we've already said should be a life and a life more abundant than you experience otherwise. All God's asking you to do is turn your life from your Personal relationship with him. Turn your life to someone else and say, "Hey, listen. I don't understand all this stuff, but God's changed my world. He is good, and He desires a relationship with me. And I know He desires a relationship with you. However, that works out for you. I'm not saying that you have to do it that way. I'm just saying God wants you to be a witness. And your first, honestly, your first discipleship responsibility is probably to the person sitting next to you, whether your sisters, whether your spouses." Whether you're friends, it says go into Jerusalem, which is the kind of their local context, into all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I mean, it extends everywhere you set your foot. But the truth is, we can't look beyond the person next to us and keep moving. My, my, my number one discipleship responsibility before I take on anyone else is my wife. I've covenanted with her. I've promised her that I will do that. And she, for me, my next responsibility is to my kids. So until I've done that, I'm not going to move on to Joe Martin. I'm not going to move on to someone else in my world. But I need to get that working because I need to move on to so many other people in my world. Go and make. Our second thing is to make Make disciples. How am I going to do that? I thought Jesus did it, and I had no part in it. Well, clearly Jesus's theology is better than ours is. So the reality is, He's calling us to go, and He's calling us to take part in the process of someone else becoming a disciple. So as I begin to share my witness, whether that's just going, "Why are you happy today, man?" I'm just, I don't know. Just I've I've got faith for the future. I've got God's given me a, a joy today. Whatever you, however you say what you say, it's fine. But we're called to go and make disciples. What is a disciple? All right, let's look at, see what Dallas Willard says here, because Dallas Willard is my, is my go-to for discipleship. A disciple is one who, intent on becoming Christ-like, and so dwelling in his faith and practice, systematically and progressively rearranges his affairs to that end. Okay, so there's, there's kind of three, I, I separate out into, into little phrases here. First, intent on becoming Christ-like. I'm intent on becoming who God's called me to be. The second thing is so dwelling in his faith and practices. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my life according to the way he's living his life so I can be more like him. That's number two. And then number three is, this is my favorite one because it's so easy to, uh, to apply, systematically and progressively rearrange my life to that end. That's, that's the make part So I I see who Jesus is, I see what he's doing, and then I rearrange my life to be like that. It's systematic and progressive. It's not miracles, it's not magic, it's not incantations, this isn't Harry Potter, this is church, this is real life, and in real life, we, we take baby steps. In real life, I know for every single person in this place, God has more for you. God doesn't give up on you until you take your last breath and then he brings you into fullness. Until you have all that he desires for you to have, he's got more for you. So we don't hold back. We systematically, what does that mean? I've got a plan. It doesn't always work out. It doesn't always, doesn't always go the way I think it should, but I've got a plan, and it's progressive, which means I expect to accomplish more tomorrow than I accomplished today. I expect to be a little bit better tomorrow than I was today. Will anyone notice but me? Probably not. It won't be that dramatic. Some days, maybe it will. Most days, it won't. I'm going, and I'm going to systematically and progressively try to be more like Jesus every single day because that's what disciples do. They make little changes that lead to big, meaningful lives. There's a book that came out a couple years ago by a guy named James Clear called Atomic Habits. I didn't read it for a long time because I thought atomic habits, it means you got to do some big thing. But atomic habits means the smallest little changes, he says, will make massive differences in the long run. That's why that book became a bestseller, because he didn't require a ton of you. He just required you to shift a little bit at a time. And as you do that, it changes. I'm going to fly back to Atlanta at 2.45 this afternoon. And if that pilot is one degree off, it won't make any difference leaving Dallas. But if he doesn't correct that one degree of difference, we're not going to end up in Atlanta. Over the long run, little differences make a huge difference. Little changes make a huge difference in our worlds. So we go, we make, then we baptize. I'm not even going to spend time on baptism except to tell you this. Baptism is a point of decision. Once you're beginning to make a disciple, someone says, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a part of the community of faith. You get baptized. It's, it's an identity moment. The, the old is gone and the new has risen. You're identified with a community of faith that's going to help you in your discipleship process. I could preach a whole series on that. It's community identity. It's community formation. It's new life. It's all of those things. But I don't have time to give you all the details of baptism. And then to teach them all that I've commanded you. To teach them. How am I going to teach them? I'll tell you what. Joe Martin is one of the best people in the world. Your pastor is one of the best. He teaches me all the time. Last night we went out for dinner. And we walk into this place, the patio or something like that. It was called the porch. And you go up to the counter, and, you, and, you, and you're, you're at the hostess stand. And I was like, "Did you know that girl?" He said, "No, I don't, I don't know who she is." But he talks to her like she's his best friend. Then we sit down for lunch, and the waitress comes over. I was like, "She waited on you before?" No, she never waited on me before. I thought you were her, like her best. Joe just treats everybody like their family. And then when they say, "Well, I've got a problem, or I've got something going on in my life," he says, "Well, let me, let me pray with you." Or you know what he does to me? He just starts praying. He says, Pastor Jeff, how are you doing? I go, well, I'm not doing too good today. Well, Lord, I just pray right now that Pastor, I got to catch up. I'm like, I haven't closed my eyes yet. I thought you had to close your eyes first. He just, he teaches me how to live faithfully. He teaches me that if if I'm encountering adversity, I should trust in him. He, he He doesn't do seminars for me. He doesn't call me and say, Jeff, I did this great message yesterday. Let me preach it to you. He didn't do that. He just shows me bit by bit by living the way he lives, how I can now live. Paul said it this way. He said, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You can, but just by being the person that God's called you to be, teach people how to come to faith. There's a, there's a reality in Matthew 22. Jesus says, there's two things I want you to do. It's, he makes it real simple. This is a great discipleship lesson Two things I want you to do. This is how you teach people. Number one, Jesus says in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it because you can't do really the first one unless you're doing the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. How do I teach people? Love God and love other people. And they will say, I promise you, they will say, there's something different about that person. When I see their life, I know I need to become a different person. How do you do it? Just by being who God's called you to be in their presence. You will begin to teach them how to live differently. And the last thing, and people miss this all the time. They say, if you want to be, have you read the Great Commission? It's go and make and baptize and teach and they'll stop there. I, I, bet, I bet if you asked 100 pastors, 99 would say that. They'd say, what's the Great Commission about? It's about going, making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. And they'd stop right there. But that's not where Jesus stops. If that's not where Jesus stops, that's not where we should stop. And this next bit is the best bit. This next bit is the most encouraging bit. Because the last part is, and behold, doesn't say or behold, doesn't say if you want to behold, it says also do this. Because if you try to go and make and baptize and teach and you miss this one, the first four are going to be really painful. He says, and behold, I am with you. God is not sending you on a pathway where he doesn't empower you to take every step of the journey. Now listen, adversity still comes. But if discipleship is not an optional extra, but discipleship is an integral part of the Christian life, and that's what I'm asserting to you today, for those who have it together and for those who don't, and the truth is none of us have it together. And discipleship not only is not an optional extra, but it's also the pathway to fullness of life. This is how we find fulfillment. Then we have to. We have to engage in it and feel like we can succeed. But you can't succeed without this last bit. Because you can't make anyone. Only God can change their heart. So he says, and behold, I am with you. Where you are weak, that's where he's the strongest. When people get saved, their testimony won't be, man, Bob changed my life. That's not getting saved. That's getting praise. The testimony should be, and Bob talked to me, and Jesus changed my life. And God changed, and the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I was like brand new. If we're going to go on this journey together, for you or for anyone else, we have to trust that God is able to do everything he says he can do. So we have to have, going into this process, going into discipleship, this is really important because you're not going to want to do it if you don't get this bit. You're not going to want to take one step. You're going to go, I can't do that. It's not for me. I'm not interested unless you get this part. And this part is defined by one word, faith. And faith gets all wacky. We get all these theological terms and write whole books. Let's just Let's get through all the junk. This is what faith is. Faith is trust in and reliance upon God. Trust in and rely. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I've got a really big faith. I believe that people can be healed. Yes, I get that. Your faith is for people to be healed. That means you're trusting in and relying upon God to heal the people you're praying for. That's what it means. It doesn't mean you've got some miraculous incantation. And that your prayers are so long and so vibrant that's, that God's going to be convinced to heal someone. That's what the Pharisees thought. It's not what we think. We go, I'm just going to ask God, and he is gracious. And if, if it's his will, he can do it. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to go talk to someone at work tomorrow. I'm going to invite them to lunch, and I'm going to tell them I, that they've got hope. I've got faith for that. It means I trust God. I'm relying on him that when I have this conversation, that he's going to convince them that there's hope. Because I can't convince them that there's hope. But this is what, this is how, can I just tell you how I deal with faith? Because I screw it up all the time. If I tell you how I screw it up, maybe I can help you find the right pathway. Like, like Let's pretend that like, this chair is faith, okay? Now, this is what I do all the time. I go, I've got faith. i got a chair. I'm good, right? I've got faith. I believe in that chair. Does that, believing in that chair do anything for me? Nothing. Believing in the chair does nothing. Believing in Jesus by itself does nothing for you. Even the demons believe in Jesus. It doesn't help them. Now, I know what that chair is meant for. It doesn't think rocket science does it. I know what that chair is meant for. It's meant for when I get tired and want to relax, I can sit in that chair and my body will begin to heal itself. My muscles will begin to relax. They'll, they'll find new energy and I'll be, I'll be restored. So I believe in the chair and I know what it's for. So I'm in good shape, right? I'm relaxed now. No, because believing in the chair doesn't do anything for me. I don't have faith in faith. I have faith in Jesus. I believe in the chair. I know what the chair is for, but it's not helping me. I tried the whole church thing. I mean, it just didn't didn't work for me. Listen, can I tell you this? God created you. He called you to the church. There is no way it cannot work for you. The problem is we just don't always use it the way it's meant to be used. We want to engage it the way it's meant to be engaged. Can I tell you what happens to me? When I try to engage in faith for my life, for discipleship, for finding new levels and abundant life, this is what happens. I, I got all my faith in the morning. I, I'm, I'm in. And I go, God, I'm going to trust you. I trust you, Lord. This is awesome. I trust you, God. I'm, I'm full of faith, everybody. I'm full of faith. This is fantastic. Man, it's great. But if Cameron comes up and pulls this chair out from under me, I got faith, but I'm still I'm still good on my own. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm trusting God, but I got this. Like, I'm not gonna fall. It's all good. I mean, God's good and I'm good, and we can do this together. But that's not what God's asking for. And frankly, I can only do this so long. It starts to burn (laughs) after a minute. And I'm still not, I mean, I'm I'm relying on the chair a little bit, but I'm not relaxed. I'm not getting refreshed. And then other people are super spiritual people, and they go, "I got all the faith in the world." And they go, "I'm going to go to the hospital, and every person going to walk out healed." And they go, I, "I've got faith. I'm awesome. I can do this, man. I'm just going to. I'm going to. I got this. This is fantastic." Yeah, yeah. That's what you say when they say they're going to go to the hospital and pray for everybody too. You're like, "Oh." Now I'm relying on the chair like a boss, but I'm not relaxed, and I, I'm not. I'm not getting refreshed. I'm actually in danger of needing better health insurance. <laughs> but I'm using the chair. I'm just using it wrong. I'm asking for God for things that he never intended me for. I'm, I'm asking to win the Powerball, but I haven't won yet. Let me do this carefully. But John 15, 5 says, if you'll remain in me... As I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. And he also says, If you'll cast all your cares upon me and trust me, give me all your weight, give me all your worries, give me all your concerns, give me all your hopes. He says, not I think, this isn't just philosophy of life, this is what Jesus says. He says, I will give you rest for your souls. But what if I don't what if I don't make disciples? What if I what if Pastor Matthew asks me to talk to somebody and they don't get their life changed that day? That's all right. Look in the New Testament, tell me what your quota is. What's your quota? Anybody know what their quota is? Well, your quota is nothing. Because God's not defining you by your outcomes, God's defining you by your obedience. He's not asking you to save a hundred. He's not going, Cameron, you get a thousand, Matthew. Man, you look good. You could do five thousand, Matthew. If you do 450, I'll be good. But if you do less than that, I'm not going to be real happy. No, no. God just says, if you'll trust me, he says, you will bear much fruit. How hard does an apple tree work to make apples? It just sits there. It waits for the rain. It waits for the sun. And the apples just kind of happen. Does an apple tree know how to make apples? Apple tree doesn't know anything. An apple tree is not cognizant. What happens? God just does what he does. And we get some honey crisps that will make your mouth turn inside out. And if he loves the trees that much, listen, our problem is we've been standing on the chair going, I think I can make some disciples. I think I can do this thing. I I think, I, I think I'm I think i going to be all right. I think I'm going to go to the hospital today and pray forever. No, no, no. That's not what God's asking from you. God's saying, hey, abide in me. Talk to me during the day. You're not going to lunch. You don't have anybody to go to lunch with? Go, God, don't say it out loud in your cube because people think you're weird. Just to yourself, say, Lord, who should I take to lunch? And just see, he's not going to talk back to you. Not like audibly. And if he does, I'll think you're a little bit odd. But but it could happen. Mostly like it won't. What he'll do is he'll just put somebody on your heart. And you'll just you'll start thinking of Caroline or Bob. Just go ask him to lunch. What if they don't get their life changed? They shouldn't. Because that's not how God, cook took God twenty years of church every Sunday to change my life. But my life has changed. It wasn't one person, it wasn't two people, it wasn't three people. It was a massive community of people. But ultimately, it was God. The fruit came, but there were a thousand roots and branches and drops of rain and rays of sunlight that got me to where I am today. And there's a thousand more that are coming that are getting me where I go tomorrow. And just consider this. Every decision, every action, every headline on CNN and Fox News and Reuters or whatever else you want to watch got you in that chair where you're sitting right now. Every action of your life, your family, your friends, your spouses got that decision in your head to say, It's 17 degrees outside, but the Cowboys are playing. I need some faith. I'm going to church. He got you here, and the message he wants you to hear today is it's not about how worthy you are. It's about knowing that you're called to make disciples in all the nations. And it's convincing you that it's not about your strength or your might or your strategies, but it's about you trusting him to go, I don't see how this is going to work, God. But I'll give it to you anyway. Faith believes what it has not yet seen. If you don't see it, man, that's ex- you're exactly where God wants you to be. So can I can just tell you the best thing you can do, the best way to start this discipleship journey for you. Dallas Word said, be intent on becoming like Christ. There's number one. Just Make your intention clear today. It doesn't matter who you were yesterday. You have no control over that. You cannot change who you were yesterday. It doesn't matter who you are tomorrow. You cannot change who you are tomorrow. Not right now. The only only impact you have, the only power you have, is to change the person you are right now. So make an intention right now to say, I'm going to make my life look more like Jesus over the next 20 years. I'm going to start today. And then... Follow him in faith and practice. His faith was to trust his father. So trust his father. And his practice was the word, worship, prayer, community. Listen, you can't do this alone. What do you think God has the church? Well, to save the nation. No, no, no. He has it for you. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If, if he's not doing it alone, he's certainly not expecting you to do it alone. Jesus had 12. How many do you have? Like deep, abiding connections with people who are willing to rub your relationship to sparks because they love you so much. I'm telling you, if you're a member here, I'm not a member here, but I can tell you I know enough members here to tell you. If you're a member here and you want that kind of experience, it's available for you in this place right here today. It'll take you a while to get those connections. That's what God has for you. So we're intent. We're living our life according to His plan, and then we're systematically and progressively rearranging. Why well, don't usually pray every day? Well, it's just five minutes in the morning. You know what? Don't even take extra time. Do it in the car ride to work. Why well, don't I can close my eyes? Don't close your eyes. That's not the kind of faith we're called to. That's standing on the chair faith. You don't have to close your eyes to pray. It's not in Scripture. You don't need to do it. Make make it your shower time. You know get cues. You know, on my bathroom mirror right now, in in dry erase marker, it says rejoice and be glad. Why? Because I've needed some help with that lately. So I just put it on there and go, it's a reminder. If I want to get to the life God's got for me, I'm going to rejoice and be glad. I don't know what it is for you, but let the anxieties of your life be markers for change. Let your anxieties be invitations. Are you feeling stressed? Go, Jesus, that's all you got? That's okay. Best prayer you could pray, Jesus. Next best prayer, thank you. After that, day three, first day, today, it's just Jesus. That's quick, that's easy, you can do that. Second day, Jesus, thank you. Third day, Jesus, thank you, help me. And just keep building, systematically and progressively. Building a life that models him. Listen, don't worry about the fruit. He didn't give you a quota. It will come. And the testimony, the witness, the story of your life will be, I don't know what happened, but God absolutely changed my whole world because I trusted in him. And that is discipleship. That's how you will become all that God created you to be and have a life that's full to overflowing in Jesus' name. Let's pray and ask him to do just that in every one of our lives this morning. Father, I thank you so much, God, that you are not only willing, but you are able to impact every single one of our lives. So, Father, as we turn our hearts to you right now, God, we know it's not about our words. It's not about our wisdom. It's not about our eloquence, God, but it's about your love and your goodness. So, Father, we rely on that right now. We put all of our faith in your character, and we ask you, God, would you set us anew on a life of path, a plan of discipleship, so we can become more like you and be an impact, a hope, a light to others everywhere we set our foot. God, we know we're not able to do it on our own, so we're asking you, would you come and help us? Go with us as we leave this place. In Jesus' mighty name we ask,
1: amen and amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Jeff. Let's all stand together. That was a foundational, fundamental, core message that I needed, that we all need. I'm so grateful that you came and made the investment today, Pastor Jeff. You know, this message, as well as all of our messages, are available online on our YouTube channel. I want to encourage you to jump online, review this message, watch the messages, especially the one that Pastor Jeff brought us in presence. You'll be so glad you did. Are you glad you came to church this morning, everyone? But we're so glad you came as well. I'd like to invite our ministry team up to the front, Pastor Robert. Cameron, and a few of our small group leaders if you'll come we want to make ourselves available to you to pray for you encourage you if if you're struggling and you need someone to lay hands on you and pray for you and believe god with you we want to make ourselves available or if you just want to meet one of our pastors and make a connection if you're here for the first time we'd love to meet you after the service today well lord bless you lord keep you cause his face to shine upon you grant you peace as you go have a wonderful rest of your sunday And go Dallas Cowboys. We'll see you next week, everyone.
0: Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper into today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout-out to all those who partner with us through their giving. Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas. God bless.